after December is over, but we're going to think for the next four weeks about the word gift and G-I-F-T. And this morning we're going to look at the G and we're going to talk about what we just sang about, what we prayed about, and that is the fact, the glory of God, especially during this time of the year. Now the reason that I'm thinking about that is because when you look at the world and its celebration of Christmas, it's anything but gracious. Anything but gracious. In fact, it's all works-based and performance-based, okay? How do we illustrate that? Oh, you better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Why? Now, you know it. Don't act like you don't know it. You're so spiritual. I never think of anything but Jesus at Christmas. Come on, okay? What is that really saying? Santa's coming, and if you don't act right, you're not getting anything but a lump of coal maybe, right? Isn't that what it says? What what do you have to do? He's making a list, he's checking it twice, and he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And what do the good little boys and the good little girls get? Well, they get things from Santa that are just so wonderful. They get what they want. They get their Christmas wish. That's all there. And if you're bad, well, you won't get anything. Santa won't come see you this year, somebody might say. It's all works-based. Even when you look at things, uh, your Hallmark Channel, um, a Christmas Carol, the Dickens Christmas Carol, what is redemption in the secular view of Christmas. It's always self-help. Do better. Try harder. In fact, we always put these words together. We don't, but they always put these words together. I was watching a football game yesterday, and there was a wide receiver that dropped a pass, and then the very next play, the quarterback threw the pass to him, and he caught it, and the announcer said he has redeemed himself. Let me tell you something. I hope you know this. If you don't, it may come as a shock to you. You can't redeem yourself. Your redemption has to come from someone else. And that's why Jesus came. Because we couldn't try harder. We couldn't do better. We were poisoned. We were under the guilt and the stain of sin. Everything we did, even the things that looked right, even the things that received the applause of people, it all had the stain and the stench of sin and it was unacceptable to God and so God in his love and in his mercy he sent his son to earth and by sending his son to earth two things happened number one Jesus came to live a perfect life to show us how it's done and he's the only one that can do it okay And so when we're walking around going, oh, well, we're all just sinners and God's just going to weigh out the good and the bad and take, you know, if the majority is good, we make it into heaven. No, God demands perfection and then God sent his son to attain that perfection for us. And then secondly, he had to come and be put in a human body because he had to die on the cross and bleed for our sins to be punished in our place and to bear the wrath of God for our sin and you can't do that to an eternal God who is a spirit and so he came as God putting on flesh so that he could live the life that we could never live a perfection and that qualified him then to be the unblemished lamb 
the sacrifice for our sins so he could die on the cross and be punished in our place with the wrath of God that we deserve. And so Christmas, when you look at it biblically, the incarnation is what we ought to be talking about. God putting on flesh. That is done so that we could be redeemed. Okay? But even sometimes Christians, we kind of mess it up and get it wrong. And we talk about the Lord Jesus coming to save us, coming to redeem us. Is that true? Of course it's true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's 100% true. That he redeemed us. He paid the penalty for our sin. But I'm afraid that when we take it and we say, oh, we were so valuable to God that he sent his own son to us. I think we make too much of ourselves and then we downplay what God has done. And I am going to propose to you that the thing that is above us, even in the Christian realm, above our redemption and above all of that, is this one thing, and the angels had it right. Glory to God in the highest. When we think about the glory of God, Christmas, the incarnation, the salvation of our souls, is all about the glory of God. When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't on there naming all of our names he was glorifying the Father. He was satisfying the Father. He was pleasing the Father. And in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, And it pleased the Father in return to bruise him. Have you ever thought about the fact that you, through Christ, have received abundant, immeasurable mercy? And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he received none. No mercy whatsoever from his father, the full weight, full wrath, full punishment of our sin came upon uh, on him on our behalf. And all of that happened that the father might be glorified. So I want to uh, remind you of a verse of scripture. This could be one of your Christmas verses this year. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7 says, and it's quoting Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And that's how Jesus lived his life. He went to the garden, he went to the cross for the will of God because it pleased the Father to put the punishment for our sin on Christ without mercy and the infinite Son of God bore the full measure of the wrath of God toward everyone who would believe. And then when we trust Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven because of what Christ has done. And listen to this. His righteousness is put on your record book under your name so that you are wholly acceptable unto God. And your part in the family and in the inheritance and in the kingdom and in heaven itself is indisputable because you are as welcome as Christ is because of what he has done for you. So when I look at that and I go, here's what the world has, and they've got all the glitter, they've got all the lights, they've 
got all the tinsel, they've got all the gifts, and it doesn't compare to what God has done for you, child of God, in the incarnation of His Son and His death, burial, and resurrection. What a gift you and I have received. And so think about this. Number one would be this. God received glory in His creation. God received glory in his creation. Can you imagine a being that could design all of the planets, all of the galaxies, all of the stars, all of the various solar systems that are out there, including our own? Isn't it amazing that when he said, I'm going to create human beings, and he made a planet for us that wouldn't be too close to the sun or we would burn up, and it's not too far away from the sun or we would freeze to death. It is perfectly in place it has gravity it has an atmosphere like no other planet that we have seen no other place that we have been even on the moon that is so close to us the atmosphere is far different here on earth think about the ecosystem think about the hydrological cycle about how it rains and then the water evaporates and then it rains again and think about all of the crops we can grow think about how all of the animal kingdom fits together so that there's always something that eats something and survives on something. Even when animals die and their carcasses are rotting out, there are buzzards that will eat them and they clean those things up. Think about how everything fits together. Think about the intricacies of how you were made, fearfully and wonderfully made. And think about how all of this is by the design of God so that the Bible tells us in... Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. How in the world can you study any of this, observe any of this, and look at any of this, and come to the conclusion that it's just a cosmic accident, that it's just something that happened, and not see the design of God? And so when you walk out into the night sky tonight, the heavens will be ablaze with the glory of God because He is the creator of all and He has created us as well that we might give Him glory. The confession says, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so, whenever we glorify God, we join with creation, we join with the heavens, and we also join with the angelic beings in giving glory to God. It's all about the glory of God. The second thing I would call your attention to is uh, that nation and that race of people so prominent in the Bible. Israel is about the glory of God. In Exodus 40, 34, when they built the tabernacle, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Israel was supposed to walk in the glory of the Lord and to give glory to the Lord and be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles in all of their existence. But they fell short. Time and time 
and time and time again they fell short. Moses warned them before he died in Deuteronomy and uh, even the exile into another country that we've been looking at in the book of Daniel was even prophesied, but they ignored it. And the prophets came and the prophets would go. The prophets would be persecuted and the prophets would be killed and they would come in the name of the Lord and in the power of the Lord and the people ignored them and they bowed down to idols. They sacrificed their own children, burning them alive in an offering to the god Moloch and they would commit all kinds of sexual atrocities and it wasn't just one or two it was Daniel said all Israel has sinned and it wasn't just occasionally it was continually for hundreds of years from the time of King David's coronation until the exile in 586 B.C. is over 400 years. Oh, God was so very patient with the nation of Israel. So much so that when you are looking at where we looked in Sunday school this morning in Daniel chapter 9, it's as if Daniel is not going, wow, this has been a long and severe judgment of God on us. It's as if Daniel was amazed that it was even ending, that God was merciful that it was only 70 years because they had sinned far greater and far longer than all of that. And you and I could say the same thing. Why are we even alive at this particular point? Why is it that life is not worse? Why do we have any laughter in our lives? Why do we have any joy? Why do we have any comforts at all? Because we deserve far, far less. We can complain about things in our life. Oh, my arthritis is bothering me and I can't get up very well and I'm slow. Well, you could be not getting up at all this morning. You ought to rejoice in what you've got. Maybe you said it's so difficult getting the kids ready and why won't they obey? Well, it could be that you don't even have any children and don't know the joy of a family. And we could go on and on and on with that because God is a loving and merciful God. And like Israel, we were created to give God glory. And God had done miracles in their lives just as he's done for you, especially the miracle of salvation and yet we're always looking somewhere else and to something else and we make it about something else and sometimes the biggest idol that we worship is ourselves our comfort our desires what we want and we fall right into the devil's plan and we fall right into the enemy's trap and we fall right into what the world has proclaimed and God chastises us in love and he does it also in a merciful way because he wants us to give him glory and not to walk around in the earth as a bad advertisement for God like Israel was when they were under the exile of God. In fact, there was a point in time where the Ark of the Covenant had been captured because they took it like a good luck charm out into the battle and they really weren't walking by faith. And the Ark was captured by the Philistines. And you remember in that time Eli the priest that uh, was so close to Samuel died and his daughter-in-law had a baby and she actually named him Ichabod. There's a name for you. Which means the glory of Israel has departed. And so many times Israel lived 
outside of the glory of God, away from the glory of God, when they were designed to be the people and the nation that would testify of the glory of God everywhere they went. Did you know that, number three, the glory of God is going to be displayed in the end times, in the end of all things? We look at this and see the culmination of all things about God's glory. Think about Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, the worst death. And therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I left out part. To the glory of God the Father. The last thing lost people are going to do by force is to give glory to God before they are cast for eternity in the lake of fire. So we see God created everything and it testifies of His glory. God created a nation and a people and He has enfolded us into that as well in the New Testament, that olive tree in Romans. And what are we to do to give glory and honor to God? And even at the end, the dead are going to be called before the Lord and they will confess Him to be Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all about the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you eat, or whether you drink, give glory to God. And here at this time of year, where so much is said about glory to God in the highest, where that is quoted and where we talk about it, where we say to the world, you need to put Jesus back in Christmas, I would say, physician, heal thyself. Because even as Christians, it's so easy to get off track. To forget what it's really all about. And so we come to the last point and we put it like this. The ultimate gift is about the glory of God. The ultimate gift is about the glory of God. It's so easy to insert ourselves too soon. I would say, too soon. It's not that we're not in this. It's not that we're just ignored and it's no big deal. We are in it. We just kind of run ahead and we try to put ourselves in it first as though the whole thing is really about us. The manger, the stable, the shepherds, the wise men, all of that, the star, all of that. That's all about us. That's all about us. No, the angels had it right. In fact, when you look in Luke chapter 2 and you start reading the Christmas story, don't run ahead, don't miss this. In verse 8, Now there were in the same country 
shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and then right away, right away, right away, first jack out of the box, the first thing you see, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The glory of God is somehow foreign to humans. We don't like to live in the glory of God. We're not comfortable with the glory of God because every time it shows up, it seems as though the Lord or an angel or somebody has to say, fear not, fear not. Why? It's foreign, foreign to us. We live for our glory. We live for our praise. We want credit for everything that we do. We want everybody to notice us, to think we're cool, to think that we're the ultimate in everything we do. We're concerned about brand names. We're concerned about labels. We're concerned about status. We're concerned about power. All of those kind of things. And yet God calls us to lay all of that aside. Make it irrelevant. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's irrelevant in our lives because there is a greater thing. And that, of course, is the glory of God. And God wants us to live in His glory so that it's not foreign, so that we're not afraid of it, so that it's not something that is just weird to us. But we understand that the moment we were saved, He put His glory within us when He gave us His Holy Spirit. He gave us Himself. And so the glory of God is not something I stumble into. It's not something I find. It's not even something that I look for and experience and say, Oh, there was the glory of God. I realize the glory of God is always within me everywhere I go. And I have the capacity, and so do you, to glorify God in every situation. Whether it's the big spiritual things, the big spiritual highs, which are wonderful, or whether it is just something as mundane as eating and drinking, you and I can do all to the glory of God because the glory of God is with us. It is in us. Paul said to the Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we carry around with us in this world the glory of God. And we're supposed to speak of God. And we are to testify of God. And we are to serve God as we serve people. We are to love people with the love of God. And the glory of God flows through us. But when it happens there in the book of Luke, it happened as the angels appeared and the shepherds couldn't understand what was going on. And so the angel makes the announcement about Christ. For unto you, so we are included, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And you remember the shepherds couldn't help it. We've got to go see this thing which the Lord has done. But don't run past the glory. Don't run so fast to the manger, to the shepherds, to the fields, to the wise men, to the redemption. Don't run past the glory of God because it is the first thing mentioned. It comes up again after verse 8 and verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel 
a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Can you imagine what it was like hearing the angels saying that? Notice it says saying, not singing. All of the songs say that they were singing. The Bible says they were saying there were shouts and echoes that were going on. And maybe there's one group of angels over here that were saying one thing and this group of angels is saying another and probably together maybe even like a, an antiphonal thing, like a responsive reading. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Maybe it was something like that. How would you like to be a shepherd to hear the shout of the angels. The shout of the angels is important. That's what we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's what's going to call you out of here at the end. The voice of the archangel. A powerful voice. A loud voice. But a praising voice. And this multitude. We don't know how many that is. But it's a lot. They're praising God. And saying glory to God in the highest. The shepherds couldn't have missed it. Don't you miss it either. Because while you are included, we as sinful humans tend to run ahead past God, past His glory, and we run ahead and make it about us. And you even do that in salvation. So many people make it about us, what we chose, what we decided, what we did, what we understood, and they miss the glory of God that your salvation started indisputably before the foundation of the world. That Christ is the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. All of that is in there so that we might see that salvation is of the Lord and that we see in our salvation it's not based upon anything I did or anything I felt. It's based upon what God did for me on the cross 2,000 years before I was ever born. And all of that resounds to the glory of God. And every time a sinner is saved, we read that part in the scripture that there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. And we say, rightly so, every time somebody gets saved, there's a party thrown in heaven. But I would say, hold on, bucko. What do you suppose that party is about? Aren't they smart? Man, what a great person. Look how good they are. What do you think? Or do you think maybe whenever a sinner kneels and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, that it breaks out in praise in heaven. And maybe at the party in heaven, they're saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Because that's exactly what happened when you got saved. Peace came into your heart and the goodwill of God. You were enemies with God before you trusted Christ. But the moment you trusted Christ, your sins were forgiven. They were put on the cross. The righteousness of God is put upon you. The Holy Spirit comes to live within your life. You are given a new nature. You become a child of God. You're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put in the kingdom of light. You receive the inheritance. And all of that is put upon you at the moment of salvation talk about goodwill toward men there has never been any more goodwill toward men than the moment that he saved you and what happens 
Not the praise of man, not glory to man, but glory to God in the highest because He has come to earth and given peace to men. And now you and I, through the blood of the cross, can have peace with God for eternity. Can you think about that? Glory to God in the highest. And here's our opportunity. Christmas is bigger than we are. You can't stop it. You can't shut it down. You can't really change it. But you can be a different voice. You can be a light in the midst of the darkness. The world lights up everything, but the light is temporary. And the light is fading. And the light burns out. And the light gets taken down. But you have light in you that comes from God. It's an eternal light, an eternal flame. And you, Jesus said, are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And we can do that all year long, but especially at Christmas. People need to know, first of all, the fact that Jesus came. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. A lot of pagans believe that Jesus came to earth on Christmas. Tell them why Jesus came. And when you tell them why he came, don't run so quickly. He came because we are sinners. That's true. But don't skip something. He came because he wanted to receive glory from people like us. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. We have a message. We have the real message. It's not just about better not cry. and You better not pout and all of that. It's not just about being on the good list and not the naughty list. It's not just simply about trying harder so that you can redeem yourself. Because you can't. It's about understanding that everybody that will bow their heart before the Lord and confess Jesus as Lord, and they believe that He died for their sins, paid the penalty for it, rose from the dead, and is glorified. And they are living for His glory. Those are the people who are saved. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And He graciously gives gifts and rewards an eternal life to the bad people, to the ones that are on God's naughty list, for the ones who can't get anything right and everything they do is stained with the stain of sin and smells with the stench of sin. Can you imagine? I used to make pizza when I was in high school. Can you imagine if I got the freshest dough and the sauce was just perfect on there and the right amount of cheese and the right amount of pepperonis getting hungry yet? Let me ruin it for you. And before I put it in the oven, I put cat manure all over it. And baked it into that and gave it to you. Would you eat it? No. And that's the way our lives are before we are saved. We try to do our best. And it's like the best of our lives. Well, the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. I won't get into a graphic description of that. But yet, let's just say this, at our best, we are decorated with manure. Let that sink in. 
And only the blood of Christ, his death, only that can cleanse us and pay for our sin. Have you trusted him today? If you've never trusted Christ, I would invite you even now to bow your heart before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. But Christ came for the glory of God to save a sinner like me. And I believe that his death paid for my sin in full. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I now kneel before you as the Lord, the master, the boss, the king, the royalty of my life. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You may not use my exact words, but it'll be something like that. And if you do that, the Bible gives a promise of salvation. For those of you who are saved, who are born again, there may be somebody around you that might have some questions. And if you have questions, feel free to ask any of us. Any of us will be glad to help you or take you to someone who can answer questions about knowing Christ as Savior and Lord and really giving glory to Him. And also, as Christians, I would just say this. Let's pay particular attention this year that we don't skip the glory of God, that we don't run past it way too fast, that we stop, that we listen to the Word of God and that we gaze upon the glory of God and think about that night so long ago when God sent His Son to earth that we see the glory of God, yes, in the heavens and yes, in Israel and yes, at the end of all things. But we also see it amazingly lying in a bed of straw in a feeding trough. The glory of God has come to man. Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. That is so much better than Santa. That is so much better than self-reformation. That is so much better than just being on somebody's good list. That is the grace of God. And in the grace of God, we see the glory of God. Bring back the glory, dear Lord, and don't let us run past it too quickly. And all God's people said, Father, as we close this morning, we come to say, Lord, forgive us when we take everything that you've done for granted. Forgive us when we act as though Christmas and the gifts and the celebration are the big deal and, oh, well, Jesus, oh, yeah. Help us to remember Colossians 1.18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And we pray this, Lord, asking for your forgiveness and mercy and asking for restoration and a fresh view of what this season of the year could mean if believers would shine as lights in the world when the world is at least aware of Jesus. Let us be speaking of him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, and one last thing. Whenever you get a gift at Christmas... If somebody in your family is a billionaire and they color a picture for you, 
you're going to look at that and go, seriously? Now, if a three-year-old colors you a picture, you're going to treasure it and put it on the refrigerator, aren't you? But if somebody's a multi-billionaire in your family and you're so excited and you open up and you colored me a picture. Here's what I want to conclude with. The quality of the gift is a reflection upon the giver, isn't it? When Jesus came to earth, he's the ultimate gift. And the quality of that gift reflects upon the giver. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Amen.